Ignatius Press and the Augustine Institute present The Formed Book Club. Catholic book lovers unpacking good books chapter by chapter. If you like us, please help us by subscribing and by reviewing us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you might listen. And don't forget to sign up for weekly updates and study questions at formedbookclub.ignatius.com. Welcome to the Formed Book Club, where I, Father Fascio, and uh, they... Uh, to get the pronouns right, uh, Joseph Pierce and Vivian Dudro continue discussing Henri de Lubac, The Church, Paradox, and Mystery. We think we stopped at the end of 158, but we're going to uh, have a little overlap here. Uh, Vivian, is that something you wanted to point out on 158? The, yes, the first part of that lengthy quote yes. is a key theme in Von Balthazar. Yes. Where he says, all that we can show our contemporaries of the reality of God springs from contemplation, Jesus Christ, the church, our own selves. But it is impossible to put forward the contemplation of Jesus Christ and the church in a convincing manner unless we ourselves participate in it. Yes, I had that underlined too. I mean, it's, it's very basic and very simple, but it's expressed very beautifully by someone who as a theologian, you might expect sometimes to speak in a much more abstract or, you know, speculative kind of life. But no, it's very concrete. This is from his book on prayer, uh, which you've mentioned already, David. By the way, we're on the chapter, only witness of Christ in the church, where Father de Lubac is writing about the person and work of Hans Ursula Balthasar, the Swiss theologian. I have nothing to comment on uh, for the next few pages until one sixty-seven. I would just say, if I can, that 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 that, that uh, Vivian's just um, said they completely concrete, as you, as you say, and completely correct. But I, I like the analogy that follows it. A person who has not loved cannot say anything relevant about love. In other words, that if we don't practice, then we we can't we have no experience. So, what's true of love? Uh, is also true of contemplation. So, okay. Mm -hmm. And then bringing up love, I mean, what he, what von Balthasar says about love on page 165 uh, is very powerful. Um, there's a, there's a pullout quote there. Does anyone have anything before that? I do not. You can you you can you can uh, you, you can read that. I, I did actually I did have one thing before that, but why don't you do that? Because it, it's obviously connected to what we've just read, and I'll just do a, a, a very quick going back a couple of pages. So in the middle of that quote on one sixty five, where von Balthasar is saying, "The adventure of losing self will not, which is what love is, um, will not be worthwhile if I do not meet God in my brother." If no breath of infinity stirs in this love, if I cannot love my brother with a love that comes from a higher source, then my finite capacity of loving. In short, if what in our meeting may bear the sublime name of love does not come from God and return to him. Amen. For it will deliver a man neither from his prison nor from his solitude. And then the uh, end yeah, of it. Yeah. Sorry. Men can no longer love each other without God. Yeah. I've tried it. I, I agree. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
No, I, I did. I did just. This is something you know. We we've been doing this. I think maybe for three years now. So it's it's inevitable. There's going to be an element of repetition. But I think it's hopefully it's a healthy one. We're talking about contemplation, and and I think it's important. Uh, what what is said. Uh, what Balthasar says on page uh, 159, towards the bottom there. Uh, contemplation may enable man to plumb other depths and abysses. But unless they are explicitly or implicitly depths of the triune, human, divine, and ecclesial life, they are either spurious or demonic. There is a kind of spiritual pride that is the most dangerous inversion of all. Many so-called mystical states are no more than artificial paradises, and as for those Illuminati who search for the way apart from or above the humanity of the Saviour, what they encountered in their ecstasies was the masked phantom of their own hollow nostalgia. And that's absolutely brilliant, and uh, uh, or worse, <laughs> they're actually encountering the, the, the devil, basically, it mentions the word demonic there. Um, you know, I've said this before, and please feel free to yawn ostentatiously, but uh, you know, Ronald Knox says that mysticism begins in mist and ends in schism. The only thing that anchors contemplation to reality, as in as in God, uh, is if it's connected to God himself. In other words, connected to an orthodox understanding of reality. So if we're just contemplating for our own sake and not in that actual communion with God himself, then we're going to be taking all sorts of weird places which will not be divine. And von Balthasar had experience of mystical states because he was the spiritual director of Adrian von Speyer, who seems to have been a mystic. He thought she was a mystic. Uh, once one reads her writings and about, more about her life and, and her revelations, uh, it certainly seems authentic. But Balthazar then writes about mysticism, and what he says is that we should not have this binary set of categories of either pure faith or the faith of the simple and mysticism. It's actually, it is a a, a scale, a trajectory, it's a path, and mysticism, true mysticism, is rooted not in self-contemplation, not in mere so-called transcendental meditation, but in receiving the Word of God, which comes to us in Christ in its fullness. And he will even cite John of the Cross, who says he's the master of mystical states in the dark night of the soul, and so on, but that uh, you can't meet God except through Christ. And even if you're experiencing something like the dark night, what you're doing is participating in Christ's suffering on the cross, his abandonment. So that And that that's yeah. where this chapter ends, Father, is that's von right. is um the Lubach explaining this in von Balthasar's spirituality, the spirituality of Holy Saturday, which begins on one sixty nine um, I think this is very funny. Nietzsche is right for just one day. You know, his famous statement that God is dead. And uh, the world has ceased to sound in the world. The body is buried and sealed. The soul descends into the abyss of Sheol, meaning what Christ uh, experienced on Holy Saturday after his death when he descends into hell. And that descent really even beginning before he actually physically dies when he experiences the abandonment of the father. Why have you abandoned me? 
uh, uh, von Balthasar reflected on this a lot, and and then he goes on about the dark night. That that really the dark night for the Christian is a participation in Jesus's holy Saturday descent, where your feelings about God, your perceptions of God, your experiences of God are actually withdrawn. And um, we know this happens to great saints. It hap- we, we've discovered after Mother Teresa's death, these letters to her confessors and things where she went through a dark night, right? Where those consolations of feeling that closeness to God were withdrawn. But as Balthazar explains on 170 in the middle, those who've experienced such states more often than not in their humility see nothing in them afterward but a personal purification. So this is the purification of our love of God. Do we love God because of his consolations, because of his gifts? Will we still love him when those consolations are withdrawn? Um, This is a great mystery, and it is part of Christian spirituality, authentic Christian spirituality, to experience this Separation from God, even though, as St. Paul assures us, nothing can separate us from the love of God. Well, my master of novices, and that would have been uh, over 60 years ago, uh, Father Ralph Drendel, the Jesuit was wonderful. But one of his little maxims, it wasn't his, but he repeated it, was, we seek the God of consolation, not the consolation of God. And I think that kind of sums up what you just said, Vivian. Also, I want to make a remark on this, that what you brought up, Vivian, is a controversial point, probably one of the most controversial points in Balthazar's theology, Holy Saturday, uh, Good Friday, uh, Christ descended into hell, this abandonment by the Father. Because when Jesus cries out on the cross, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Balthazar takes it very seriously. At the same time, that th- those are the first verses of a psalm which ends up with confidence in God and praise of God so that many will hold, and I think it's, you're perfectly legitimate to hold, that because Christ in some way had to be a big vision, he was always the son, even in his incarnate form, that he could never experience abandonment by God. But Balthazar takes a position which is not his own alone, that is, it's, it's held by others in the church, especially some of the fathers, that no, uh, Christ actually suffered not only the greatest physical pain, in well, not necessarily the greatest physical pain, but the greatest spiritual pain, but also that moment of death uh, where he hands back the Holy Spirit to the Father, that Christ experiences the abandonment of the Father, which is what hell is. Now, I say it's controversial. Uh, related to that, I want to share with those who are listening or viewing this, a conversation the three of us had at the end of last session, namely, I think, Joseph, you were interested in, you know, what books you might read to to begin reading Balthazar himself. And uh, Vivian, you mentioned uh, this small book called The Moment of Christian Witness. And so I thought I'm going to reread that, uh, which I started last week. And the the first section there called The Decisive Moment precisely on this issue that our faith originates at that moment when Christ died on the cross. 
Everything comes from the open wound in the side of Christ. Uh, nothing else comes to us, comes from any other place. Uh, but that's already an expression of his glory, because what is the greatest glory? It's the greatest love. And what's the greatest love? That no man hath and laid on his life for his friends, so that Christ's very death and suffering and abandonment is the sign of his glorious love. So everything arises from that. So when I read that first section, which is about 40, 50 pages, I thought, yeah, maybe you're absolutely right. This is a great book to start with if you want to get into the heart of von Balthasar in a very readable way. However, the second section, called The Philosophical System and Its Alternative, is pretty deeply philosophical. I mean, he goes into the German idealistic philosophers, you know, Kant and then Hegel, Fichte, Schelling, and so on. And that I found pretty uh, pretty obscure, at least for my, for my mind. But you well, had read Go ahead. I, I thought that that section, it's true, I had to read it very carefully and slowly, and I think I had to read it twice. But he's really showing the modern paradigm that we're in and why this love that God has poured out on the cross has such a difficult time penetrating the modern world. Uh, the obstacles that modern philosophy and modern thought, which we are all children of this, whether we realize it or not, that, you know, uh, and and how we, to, to make our way to God or for God to make his way to us, we have to kind of get through this fog that we're all in, you know? And so I don't think that that chapter is one of the kinds of things that you have to understand completely to understand why Balthazar is writing it and why it fits in this book um, to show the challenge to belief that we are faced with. And, but then he quickly moves on from there to show, well, when we do make this step to belief, you know, what is it that we're really signing on to? I mean, are we prepared to be that witness in the world, even unto the point of death, which God might ask. So you don't want to take this lightly. And yet what a glorious adventure of love it turns out to be when you say yes. I mean, that's what Balthazar is doing in this book, I think. The well, moment of Christian witness book. And I think therefore we can recommend to Joseph and others uh, this book is, a, is a kind of a portal into Entree and von Balthasar with the proviso or the, uh, the advanced warning that when you get to that second part, don't give up. I mean, read it a couple of times and go past it. But the beautiful thing there is in this first part, you see Balthasar in a way that is very, very uh, normal for him. That is, he's, he's, he's expressing some important idea, but he pulls in these little scripture quotes, not as proof texts, but it's like he, he, he was immersed in scripture. And so he brings in these little uh, quotes that illustrate the point he's making. And those quotes become more illuminating than when you think about them in their original context. He's put them in a kind of a larger context. It's very beautiful. So the first part, he shows himself as a theologian where all theology arises from the word of God, Jesus himself, but in sacred scripture. And then in the second 
section there, he shows himself as someone who is deeply immersed also in contempor modern contemporary philosophical thought and can draw conclusions from that, which help us understand where the world is right now. Right. And, you know, von Balthasar is int keenly interested in this question. What, what is really a Christian? What does it mean to be a Christian? And let's look at the end. So on page 163 of this chapter, Du Lubach mentions how rooted von Balthasar is not only in the scriptures and the fathers, but also Ignatius of Loyola, um, where he says, um, from the spiritual exercises, which were revealed to Balthazar in all their force by his teacher. How do you pronounce that, Father? Eric Prejarvas. Uh, Balthazar has increasingly drawn Ignatius's concern for total commitment to the following of Christ. And in order to remain faithful to what he has received, he has never ceased communicating it to others. Balthazar is fundamental. In every single book he writes, even the ones that are way over my head, <laughs> what he is fundamentally interested in is helping the person reading what he's writing to make that total commitment to Christ himself. I mean, that's Balthazar's chief concern in everything he writes. And it's a serious thing. This is not a sentimental, mushy, um, la, 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 Christianity. <laughs> this is... This is real Christianity. And, you know, I was re-watching uh, the other night when I was visiting some family members, that new movie about C.S. Lewis, The Most Reluctant Convert. Yes. Have you seen that yet, Joseph? I haven't yet, no. I, I've got a friend who has it. I just haven't have been able to get around to see it. So. It is really, really good. But what you see in this development of C.S. Lewis's relationship with God that realization that becoming a Christian is serious business, that he is making a very profound commitment uh, to follow Christ completely. And, it's, you know, Christ is going to ask some things of him. You know, after he first comes to terms with materialism doesn't hold up, so there must be spirit and absolute in God, he still has to go the rest of the way to Jesus himself, to being a disciple of Jesus Christ. And what is that really going to mean? And what is that really going to cost him? This is not fluff. There's a couple of more citations that I'd like to just at least read before we conclude this chapter. And others can cite other passages or comments. But anyway, page 167, three lines down, the Lubach says, we must now try to penetrate into the secret of this thought that is so profoundly personal, yet whose personality consists solely in a loving search for a more objective grasp of the mystery. Skipping some lines. Since we cannot fully explore the whole, let us at least point out one of the avenues that lead to its center. New paragraph. Von Balthasar invites us to a certain view of the face of Jesus. And then skipping some more lines. We quote Balthasar, the glory of God is nowhere, not for a single instant, separated from the Lamb, nor is the light of the Trinity divorced from the light of Christ, the incarnate Son. So, I mean, how central can you get? And that's from his, the very first volume of his big trilogy on the, on the glory of the Lord. And then you mentioned this uh, already, 
of Vivian, but it expresses it in a quote on page 169, about eight lines down. Uh, the heart of the spirituality that corresponds to it, a single word defines this spirituality. It is a spirituality of Holy Saturday. That is between Good Friday, where Jesus gives up the spirit, expressed banded by, by God prior to the resurrection on Easter Sunday. That's the emptiness that is not just finitude, but also sin, which Jesus took upon himself to save us from it. And then finally, the last little tiny paragraph on page 171, uh, reading so many passages where this theme is taken up in the theme of Holy Saturday, we discern a distress, a solitude, a night, recognizing that it is an image of the one experienced by the heart of the world. And we understand that a work that communicates so full a joy must have been conceived in that sorrow. You know, until a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it doesn't bear fruit. And Jesus did it for all of us in completely emptying himself out and dying. He really died. That's von Balthasar's point. He really did die. Even, and we ask ourselves, well, how can God die? That doesn't make any sense. And yet he's the one who told us there's no life without passing through death. And I'm going to show you. Watch. Watch me. Yes. And now we can watch him. And even though we can't really comprehend it, really, we say, wow, that really is love. Life poured out. The and death a, to self to embrace love. What it's going to cost is a, a beautiful thing. There's a very famous adage of some ancient monks in the early church, uh, unus ex trinitate mortuus est, one of the trinity has died. It's a very shocking statement. And on this grain of wheat, Vivian, uh, I just actually had a little insight this morning, which is probably not great, but I, it was kind of new for me. Uh, I actually grow wheat and uh, we make hosts out of it. And I'm right now actually... Uh, doing a bulk fermentation, I'm, I've taken up baking uh, sourdough bread. But it struck me this morning at Mass that the grain of wheat has to fall into the ground before it can bear fruit. But for that, that grain to become bread, it's got to be crushed, crushed as fine as dust. And so even that grain which has fallen into the ground and borne fruit will not make bread unless it is first ground to fine dust. And so, and, you, that, and of course, the, the famous expression is by St. Ignatius of Antioch on his way to Rome, yeah. uh, where he's, he's yearning for martyrdom in the Colosseum, saying, and the teeth of the lions don't prevent them from grinding me, uh, the wheat that I may become, the bread, the body of Christ. And you know, one way to, to, to reconcile this paradoxical mystery that God is infinite and life eternal and all these things, and yet he dies. Well, one way we can reconcile these things is to realize nothing is really lost, right? The grain of wheat, when it dies, it's being broken open. There's a little plant in there with a lunchbox inside that seed <laughs> yeah. waiting to break out, right? right, right. And so... The grain of wheat, it has to undergo this transformation, which involves 
pain, if you will, if the grain of wheat could feel pain, he'd go, ouch. But what's being brought forth actually is new life. That's the grain of wheat actually being reborn. So nothing is lost in all of this death and dying and resurrection. And yet it's being transformed into something far beyond our greatest imaginings, what God has prepared for us in his love. Well, that reminds me of something also related because it's in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, around verse 30 something, where Paul says, some of you ask what the risen body will be like. Next verse. That's a stupid question, he says. <laughs> and he gives the example of a seed falling in the ground because, you know, you look at a seed, you couldn't possibly tell what it's going to be if you didn't know in advance. I mean, we, we have packages which say it's a rose or it's a tulip or whatever, or we know it's a grain of wheat. But if all you saw was a seed, never seen one before, you know, or what they do, you'd be kind of surprised to put it in the ground and have this little green thing come up, you know. But you can't predict the plant by analyzing the seed. Uh, it's something of a different order. And so even in a human analogy, Paul is talking about the uh, – the life, the risen, the life of the risen flesh is something we cannot predict, we cannot imagine, we cannot construct. It's something beyond eye is not seen, ears not heard, nor has it entered the heart of man what God has prepared for those who love him. Joseph, you've been uncharacteristically silent. We spent all this time fixing your microphone so you can... <laughs> You might as well have just carried on and without me and no one would have known, so everything would have been great. Um, <laughs> wisdom of hindsight. Um, no, I mean, obviously you were both waxing very eloquent and um, I felt no particular need to barge myself into, uh, into the sagacious um, conversation. I would say that the bottom of page 170, I did want to make one comment. Um, that those two, last two lines there from Balth Balthasar are actually very beautiful. The magic of Holy Saturday, the nothingness out of which the wellspring leaps forth. Um, obviously a great paradox there, but I want to just a personal, this is one of the very few things where I differ from my wonderful wife, um, and I, I presume she can't hear me, um, uh, is that Holy Saturday, uh, what this become our tradition of the last several years to go to Melkite Parish, where they have a, a service, something of the hidden light or something. Um, and uh, there's general absolution. Uh, and, you know, uh, uh, I, I have no, that aspect of it doesn't worry me. I'm quite happy to be absolved. Um, but uh, for me, I, I actually like the nothingness, the emptiness, the empty tomb. Oh, not, not no, Christ in the tomb, I should say. Um, uh, I like the fact that I'm bereft. Uh, I, you know, I like the fact that there should not be, we should not be going to, one day of the year, we should not be going to church as Holy Saturday. So we have a, I mean, I go and I, and I don't even think she knows that this is my, uh, my view. Because <laughs> <laughs> I like, keep your wife happy and everyone's happy. Um, but, uh, you know, but for me, I like the idea that once a year, well, we can't go to communion uh, because Jesus isn't available to us this one day. That, that real absence is a vacuum. And it's that vacuum, as we say here, the nothing, nothingness out of which the wellspring leaps forth. And I want to be able to experience that nothingness. And that going to church on that day seems to sort of diminish that for me. And it's, this might be a personal 
subjective thing. Obviously, the Melkite tradition is is venerable, and I'm not absolutely not meaning to to belittle that or anything about it. But for me, I want the I want the real absence of God on that day because that's what Holy Saturday is, and it makes Easter, Easter Sunday all that more special. And I've wondered, you know, for a long time, why I mean, Friday in the church's calendar every week is meant to commemorate the crucifixion of Christ. And we fast on Friday or abstain on Friday, at least we should. Uh, but Saturday is Our Lady's Day. Why, why is Saturday Our Lady's Day? Now, I don't know what the historical reason is, but I think at least part of it is that's the day of emptiness. That's the day where you're nothing. Everything has to come to you uh, anew, afresh from the cross. So I, I see that as an expression of the lowliness of the handmaid, as we say in the Magnificat, or the emptiness of the womb that will receive uh, the divine Savior. Mm, that's beautiful. Well, why don't we uh, conclude it here, and then next session we'll take the last chapter, Holiness in the Future, and the Appendix, and then following that, we will uh, lighten up a little bit and start discussing his book, Faith and Reason, edited by Brian Bissong and Jonathan Fuqua, which is basically some philosophers who have become Catholic and they tell their stories. Thanks everyone for watching. Thanks to our technical person here for getting us up and running finally. God bless you. If you enjoyed this discussion, Please help spread the word about the Forum Book Club by subscribing to the podcast and writing a review. You can sign up for weekly updates at formedbookclub.ignatius.com.